0: Welcome to Horses for Future. Horse people can make a difference in the climate change crisis. Together, we're learning how. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. I'm joined by Manda Scott, author, veterinarian, shamanic teacher, and climate crisis activist. We recorded this podcast the day after the general elections in the UK, in which Boris Johnson won by a considerable margin. In the States, the impeachment hearings in the House were going on. So politics very much had our attention on both sides of the Atlantic. In the climate crisis, there are things we can do privately to make a difference. And there are also times when becoming more involved in public actions may be what is needed. The question is, do you know how to take that step from the private to the public? That's what I wanted to explore with Manda in this conversation. We begin with a little hand-wringing over the election results in the UK.
1: So, I put up a post on Facebook today going, Where is it that's safe to go? (laughs) Canada, New Zealand. But where is it that's safe? That's the really scary thing. New Zealand, maybe, but again, it's a long way.
0: (laughs) It's a long way, and they probably don't want you. Yeah, exactly. You know, because there there are going to be too many people who say, Let's go to New Zealand. I was
1: quite seriously, and I discovered that up until 50, there's a process you can go through. And over 60, there's a process you can go through. Between 50 and 60, there appears to be a black hole. Oh, <laughs> I really? Don't want you then because you're not quite retired. So you're not taking your kind of your whole retirement cash with you, but you're not working for long enough for it to be worth taking you in as someone who's got a job. So, between 50, fifty and sixty, forget it. So, hey, screwed anyway. <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't know. I I think the the answer is we instead of thinking about where can we run to, which of course brings us to the subject of today is how can we make where we are
1: safe yeah Yeah. we were talking about that today yeah
0: yeah because it's if we all start running we just magnify the problems
1: well you magnify the problems back where you were before but your new place might be really nice so we all all progressives run to scotland it could be a really cool place
0: (sighs) i don't know i don't know or we just need to make where we are um a much cooler place to well not yeah it's actually literally a cooler place <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes.
1: yes yes because however about the politics we have got such little time before the tipping points hit us and and that's the most devastating thing about this is johnson has no intention whatsoever of doing anything at all about so yeah he's like Trump here yeah. So we are organising a conference. In fact, I was at a meeting today um, to try and get all of the three tiers of our local governance onto the same page and to get real actual people who know what they're talking about, coming in and giving talks and and getting people's assemblies together and then feeding into an action plan for for the local area. Because the the next um, conference is all the parties. So COP25 is in Madrid at the moment, having moved from Chile, um, which is the UN Global Summit. Right. And it's in Glasgow next year so it's coming to britain um so we want to be able to go to glasgow see what we can do hmm.
0: which brings us yes yes this this brings us to our current topic and there are really two topics i think and they're they're interrelated after the last podcast interview that we did with michaela clearly the idea of how do we form good habits? Mm. How do we use what we know, what the science tells us about behavior change to help people individually make some of the changes in behavior patterns and habits and as a community make changes in uh, behavior? And then linked to that is how do we how do we help people become more active politically active cuz if if you if you haven't been it's a big leap yes so creating the 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 small steps creating the behavior change patterns so that we're doing more than simply putting our horses in a nice equi type of grazing pattern, which is a wonderful thing to do. Getting yeah, the microbiome right. Getting the microbiome right and so on. But the more we do that and the more we learn, the more passionate we're going to be about what we can do, what we need to do, what we must do, or... It won't matter whether our horses have a lovely equi-central, um system to live in, because they're not going to have that for very much longer, if no, we, we even, don't, right?
1: Yeah. Or not, obviously. Or but, not. Yeah.
0: So what? What I have to believe is that we can make a difference. That we're going to make a difference, and or you know at least we're going to go down fighting, as it were. That's the thing. We have to try. We yeah. don't you know,
1: and I think it was Baklave Pavel who said sometime uh, somebody who said, "I don't fight fascism because I expect to win. I fight fascism because it's the right thing to do." Yes, and I think it's the same thing. You know, we don't have to believe we're going to win, although you know I do think there is a chance. But we have to believe that it's worth trying. Yes, yes I think we have to get to the point of I am not prepared to do nothing. That's and right, and then that's all we need, really.
0: That's right, and. It's how do we move from just sort of reading about it as we sit on a couch doing nothing mm-hmm. to doing something. And, and what is the something? What are some of the somethings, as it were, yeah. that can make a difference? Yeah. So we're doing this taping just after the elections in the UK. So can you describe a little bit the steps that have taken you into being more politically active, and you were out canvassing, so on. So it's yeah. it's, and I don't even mean this in terms of somebody listening to this thinking that they have to share the same political yeah, the right. Yeah. So they 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 could end up voting in completely different ways from the ways either one of us vote. That's not what this is about. But it's saying, if you believe in something strongly, how do you move from uh, being simply a a passive observer of these, these things that are occurring in the world right now to being someone who is more active in terms of making a difference?
1: Okay, so I think, I think the first realisation for me was that passivity is a political stance also. That it's impossible to be alive and be a human being in society at the moment and not be political, politically active. The question is whether we know we're being politically active and whether we're choosing it. Doing nothing is a political action. Yes. And, and so... I think, so I've always been politically active. I was politically active as a student. Um, And then there were the years when I was just basically too busy being a vet. And then I was too busy writing. But all of my writing, always, every book that I wrote was intended to change the world. I was, you know, my writing was meant to be politically active. It might not have succeeded, but it was meant to make, and that's not fair, actually. I I get emails all the time from people reading the books right back to the beginning of, gosh, that really made me think about whatever the topic of the book was. And that, for me, I used to get into terrible conflicts with people on panels at crime writing festivals, because for them, they wrote a crime book to make money, to entertain people, to show how clever they were at, at, you know, I had this great idea for a crime. And I was always writing the crime novels and then the Boudicca novels and then Joan of Arc and then Treachery were all designed to go, look, this is the world. It could be different. And this is, you know, this is the extraordinary injustice, or this is the lies that you've been told, or this is the way things have panned out, and we can make it different. And that was always in there. So the step from that to actually just going out and pounding the pavements is is probably not that far. But actually, what really two things got me into it. And one was being an internet junkie because I'm sitting at my computer, and it's always more fun to look on Facebook than it is to write the next sentence. Um, when Obama was beginning to come up in America and American politics suddenly seemed really interesting and there was hope for those of us who thought that the world could be a more compassionate collegiate beautiful cooperative space and I wasn't seeing that in the UK because at that point you know Tony Blair was was in power and he was just horrendous um, and but I remember thinking, God, I wish I wish British politics was this interesting. And the sensation when Obama was elected was just like, oh, gosh, the world could be different. And now, you know, we look back and think, well, pff, there were forces, you know, the forces of vested interest are bigger than we realised. But, but it was still a pivotal moment. And then in the UK, when Jeremy Corbyn stood for election as leader of the Labour Party, and I realised that he... Carried that same sense of the world could be different. He's not been bought. Everybody, you know, the hierarchy of politics in both our countries, the the power and the influence owns the politicians, and it's staringly obvious that they don't really care about what's happening in the environment or to people or to anything other than where the money is flowing from. But Corbyn was one of these people who. Quite clearly, nobody had ever bothered to buy him because they didn't think he'd ever be worth it. And suddenly he's leader of the Labour Party and there's panic. You can see the naked panic on the faces of the the newscasters and the people who think they shape opinion because here was somebody that they didn't know how to control. And that's been the case now for four years. And and so that then felt like uh, a crack in the wall. Because up until then, the kind of the sense of the weight of the late stage capitalism is just so big, and the the power, because because the politics again in both of our countries has been a system of taking value of, of money that you and I create by working, we pay our taxes, and pouring it into fewer and fewer private hands, and those private. So we get to the stage where eight men, all of them white, now control more money than half of the rest of the world. And, and this should not happen. It shouldn't be possible. Plato, Plato, it was a long time since Plato, <laughs> said that the, the, the gap between the richest and the poorest should never be more than 20 to 1. And when I was a kid, it was about 50 to 1. And now it's 650,000 to 1 and rising. And nobody is worth that. Especially not people who make their money by moving money around, you know? If you were perhaps an amazing pediatric surgeon and you could save children whose lives would otherwise be devastated, or you were an astonishing nurse who sat up for nights on end caring for people, you might be worth quite a lot, but you're a banker. And you make money that way because you invent money out of thin air and then you sell it to people as a profit. And we let this happen. And then we let them gather more and more and more power. And then we let them tell us what to do. And the just basic injustice of that makes my blood tingle in my ears (laughs) and makes my head pound. And I think, and I get to the point of thinking, if I just sit back and do the things that are comfortable, if I just play with my horses and take my dog for a walk and bury my head and do nothing. And I get to the end of my life and that's what I've done. I am not going to look back and feel proud of that. And so I think castaneda carlos castaneda are you familiar with him
0: it's been a while but yes so and and others won't be so i'm not
1: recommending anyone reading him he was a terrible misogynist and probably a fantasist but he had a statement along the lines of that death should be our closest advisor that we should live our lives with death just behind our left shoulder and i think possibly because i was a vet and death is always very present and you give mm-hmm. death and you take it away I try to live, and, and the shamanic work as well, I try to live with death as my advisor. If I were to die tomorrow, would I be proud of what I have done today? And if the answer is no, then I change what I've done today. And, and if I can live every day like that, then if I die tomorrow, I will be proud of what I've done today. And then, yes. and then, and then there are no regrets. Because we all you know, read the lists that come out of hospices and the, the late stage cancer care centers of the things that people regret not having done with their lives and it is nobody ever lay on their deathbed going god i wish i'd spent more time in the office um you know it just doesn't happen and so i have spent quite a lot of time looking at what matters to me and what matters to me is that we have a healthy world that we can pass on to future generations and that we don't destroy most of the species with whom we share the earth and once you get to those two not acting in the face of people who are because we're not just, somebody said, this is not just an extinction. We're in the middle of the sixth mass extinction. We're actually in the middle of the first extermination because this is not an accident. There have been mm. five mass extinctions and they happened because, mostly they happened because the carbon dioxide rose and there was global warming. But, but they rose, you know, meteorites hit the earth. So there were huge volcanoes and, and right. dust for decades. This one is happening because people, have made active decisions to suppress information. And the rest of us have not stood up and said, you can't do that. Because there are only a few of them. There are so many more of us than there are of them. And yet, because they feed us bread and circuses, which is what the Roman emperors said, if you give the populace bread and circuses, then they will not revolt. And it turned out to be true. And we have television and Facebook and Twitter and very very cheap food that damages our health but keeps us you know basically sedated and we don't say you can't do that and and if not you know if eight people own the wealth of half the world half the world should be able to go actually guys you can't have that but we don't because people don't act and so i think so then it's just a question of if i'm going to act how can i act most usefully? So, Extinction Rebellion has been an extraordinary vehicle for that in this country. Um, and it went from, this time last year, they, they had five bridges that they took, and you know they put the pink boat on one of them and, and you know, people went and sat by it and they got arrested. And by, that was in April of this year. By October of this year, there were, I think, 30,000 people in the centre of London. And we just you know we sat outside the BBC or we sat outside the Ministry of Agriculture. And I, I had a Zoom call, I'm doing a veterinary homeopathy course at the moment, and one of the vets has given up, he sold his practice to go and help Extinction Rebellion. And he said that he'd been contacted by people who are civil servants in the Ministry of Agriculture, because we sat outside that for three days before the police finally moved us on. And they said that the presence of Extinction Rebellion had materially changed the nature of their relationship with their minister. The civil servants were going, okay, you know, we get it. These people, the Conservatives, are not going to change stuff, but we are the civil servants. And in this country, when you have an election, the new person brings in their own civil service and the old civil service leaves. We have a civil service that's in post, regardless of who's in power. So there's continuity of the people who actually make stuff happen. And they said they made a difference. And I don't know what that difference is, but I'm guessing they would think we were proud of it because they were telling it to everybody. So and even in this election it didn't cut through on the streets but every political party had something about the the climate crisis in their manifesto so it's getting there and and the other thing that i think i've found is that extraordinary sense of community that builds and i think we are social creatures community is everything and being with other people sitting in the roads in October, with total strangers on either side, and the call would go out of you know this is where we stop now we sit down and you just sit and the police would come, and it I found it very very intimidating. I'm basically a good little girl. I don't <laughs> like upsetting the police, and they were very cross with us. But there was immediate friendship with the people on either side, and and some of the people I know who've been arrested, I never was, but. um, have made lifelong friendships with the people they were arrested with that just sense of solidarity and community and we're all here because we care and when you've got 5000 people who are all in one place because they care and we're using social technologies that you know are helping us to be non-hierarchical we're trying to live the systemic change that we want to see in the world and it felt it was so amazing I cannot describe the sense of this is who we could be here. 5,000 of us living in tents in Trafalgar Square. (laughs) And yet, you know, it's, and the police were coming every night and slashing the tents and we'd have to move and get people moving, but everybody helped everybody else. And then people were giving money and the vans would turn up and there'd be more tents, (laughs) more tents. That's cool. Um, And just the sense of cooperation and compassion for each other and the willingness to be non-violent in the face of often extreme violence from the police and not as extreme obviously as in brazil or china or chile or the yemen but you know they were getting pretty violent at times and yet people were able to hold the nonviolence, and it felt really inspiring and really hope-filled so then Going out now, the election was called, and and so again, you've got a group of people. I, I was out last night. I was out till half past nine last night with a young medical student who said, you know, if we don't get a Labour government, the NHS is finished. And and a, an old one of her older, so an actual doctor, um, somebody from an intensive care, an intensive care nurse, a union official, and a guy who was retired and had brought his barge to this particular constituency because he wanted his vote to count, and we were a team and it felt good you know for those four hours we were just going through the streets talking to people just checking that the people we thought were going to vote for us had voted Um, and in the end you know it was an absolute catastrophe but it felt I couldn't have lived with myself if I hadn't given it everything so I think you know that's I just think the world is political, and it always has been, but it's more obvious now. We are right up against it. The tipping points of the climate, the Greenland ice sheet is now the smallest it has ever been in our geological epoch. There are methane hydrates boiling out of the Arctic Ocean. And that that was a thing that they thought might happen in 150 years' time, and it happened this summer. And methane has 86 times the global warming capacity of carbon and it's boiling out of the sea because there's great, great, big methane sinks when it freezes and there are vast methane icebergs at the bottom of the Arctic Sea. And the Arctic Sea is now so hot, relative to what it should be, that the methane is boiling off. And, And these things are not sustainable. Our world cannot continue with business as usual. And so the more of us that are going, okay, this can't happen. And trying then to build. So a group of us have got together and we're trying to design what does a local resilience network look like? As a concept, the deep adaptation paper is quite distressing. But since that, um, a group has come up and they're having what they call transformative adaptation. So deep adaptation is the proposal that everything's going to be very, very bad. And if we're lucky, the few people who survive will be able to get together. And what transformative adaptation is suggesting is Okay, so supposing we do the getting together before the things get really, really bad. How could we, if we got groups within the Dunbar, are you familiar with the Dunbar number? No. So Ian Dunbar is an anthropologist who suggested with evidence that the maximum number of people that one individual can make real social connections with is 150. Is 150, yes. Okay, yes. So within the Dunbar number, so if we can create networks within that number, that that are bound by things that bind people compassion and friendship and cooperation and a sense of trust then what does food resilience look like what does energy resilience look like what does heating resilience look like and particularly what does emotional resilience look like um and we're testing that one out now because a lot of us don't feel very resilient after (laughs) last so um but but we've got our network and we were phoning each other today and these things happen you know, everybody has friends who will phone them when stuff is bad. But what we're trying to do is create it so that we have practiced and we understand and we've got it slightly more formal so that I know who my network is and they know who the wider network is and we know how to reach each other and we can do it if necessary without electronics because who knows when the power might go down. Um, and, and what does that feel like? In this world that is going to change in our lifetimes So I, that was a very long answer to your question.
0: <laughs> that was a wonderful answer to my question. So where, to, where which, which are the many threads to pull on? So if somebody you must have met people when you were sitting in, in Trafalgar Square who had not done anything like this before.
1: Mm. So, yeah, so I, my what, sister-in-law, who didn't even know Extinction Rebellion existed the week before, and then we told her about it, and she went, right, I'm coming. And, and, and she'd never done anything. It was, it was, yeah, she was good.
0: So what, what are the steps that propel somebody who's done nothing to being in Trafalgar Square? So as you were talking with some of these people, what what was it that propelled them up out of their chairs, there away from their computers and out into the streets?
1: Yeah, in the cold and the wet and the rain and, and hundreds, if not thousands of miles from home. Um, I think particularly for the XR and not so much for the, the kind of party politics, everyone there, had read some climate science. They hadn't all read the deep adaptation paper, but a lot of them had. They'd all come to the realization that we have very, very little time left if we're going to turn things around. No. And, the, and all of them, I you mean, know, people carry, there was, there was an, I think the oldest guy arrested was 98. And he had a bit of cardboard on which he had written, I could not look my grandchildren in the eye if I were not here. And I think that's the, Lots of people. One of my students was arrested, and she looked into the cameras and she said, "My name is Kathy Eastbourne, and I am doing this for my children." And so many people were doing it for the next generations. Of, we have stolen their future, and and how could we do that? And once we know that, how could we not act? Yeah, yeah. Sabrina Sternberg has obviously touched a lot of people, but I I think yeah and it doesn't once you've read the climate science once you can't unread it you know it's one of these it's one of these things it's a one-way system once you're through you can't come back yeah um and and then the only question is what are we going to do so so my partner said you know i'm not an activist i will she manned the phones at home we had around the clock phones so everybody had the phone number written on their forearm and all you had to do is phone this one number and they would then phone the lawyers and phone your dog sitter and you know phone your granny and say where well, can we home? All of the things. And so we had people on a road around the clock. And so the people who didn't want to come and sit in the street and risk being arrested did that or offered lifts from the station for people coming home. Whatever. There was always for every person sitting on the street, there were at least a dozen back home providing some kind of logistical or emotional support. Um, but after last night's election result, my daughter and my partner and her two daughters both said, we're joining XR, we'll be out on the streets because we need to do something now. And, and what else can we do? We've got a broken democratic system. It's not reflecting what people actually want. And we, have, we are powerless to do anything else. So we'll do this. And we're doing it for our children all of them
0: yeah well and beyond doing it for our children but hopefully also doing it for the other inhabitants of this planet
1: yes
0: because i think
1: mostly it's you and i and people who don't have kids who think that the people who have kids are doing it for their kids yeah they don't you know that's that's what gets them up out. the rest of us are doing it because yes i want there to be barn owls and squirrels and I, and I don't want the toads to become extinct and i you know, want there to be trees when i look out of the window and yes. where I live. They, when we got here the dawn chorus was deafening you couldn't hear the phone ring when the birds started out And now there's you know a blackbird and a couple of wrens, and i have no idea why the population has collapsed because we're not in a big agricultural spray area but they've just gone and it's just and, and yeah. people don't care
0: and you haven't been there that long Oh, we're over the hill.
1: We've been 15 years in this area. Ah, right. 15
0: But still, that's no—that's no time at all.
1: No, really no,
0: But then, when it doesn't take much for when the populations collapse, it's
1: it, it can be very abrupt. Disintegrate. It's a very rapid thing, and we're watching it happen in real time. And you but, must be too. You must be loss of species around where you are.
0: Yeah, they're well everywhere, everywhere. So one of the things I think we have to learn to do is how to talk to one another mm. because if we don't learn how to talk to the other yes. we will tear ourselves apart.
1: Yes. We and crea- the anti-rivalry movement. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, That the divide is, the gulf is becoming so enormous that People are, we're, we're afraid to have certain conversations yeah. because as soon as you start to talk about anything political, it, unless you are talking to the echo chamber, to somebody you know shares the same general political outlook as yourself,
1: yeah. 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 You,
0: you risk a confrontation, you risk a breaking of a friendship, you risk being ostracized, it becomes really uncomfortable and unpleasant to even think about having a political conversation. But if we don't yeah. start talking to each other, yeah. that gulf is going to split us so far apart that uh, we will truly break yes. apart. Yes. I probably shouldn't split this conversation. I should let you listen to it all in one go but I am going to end here. In the next podcast, we'll pick up with this question. How do we learn to talk to one another? So instead of listening to a long podcast now, I'm going to send you instead to accidentalgods.life. That's the website Manda has just launched. I'll share with you her opening statement in the website. We have the power of gods to destroy our home, but we also have the chance to become something we cannot yet imagine and by doing so to transform the nature of ourselves and all humanity. We didn't grow up believing that we'd be part of the generation that gave itself the capacity to wipe out life on our planet. But here we are accidental gods poised on the brink of chaos and mass extinction. And yet, we are also poised on the brink of vast potential transformation. This is about us, all of us, becoming the best that we can be. This is a co-creation, but each of us needs to make the steps to get there. We can do this if we do it together. To learn more and to become involved, visit accidentalgods.life And next week, we'll have part two of this conversation.